Welcome to episode 10, everyone, of the TurfCast podcast. And today we've got some different things going on, I think, in terms of a recap of 2020, which I don't know if anyone wants to really recap 2020 for some other reasons, but in terms of our lawn stuff and in terms of projects that we had going on and, and different things, we I kind of made a list myself here of what went right, what are some things I could adjust for next year, what I learned, and I don't know what you got for a list there, Ryan, but I'm sure you had a bunch of projects and things going on as well. Yeah, the list is expansive. And like we talked about in the last one, you know, it's the time now to catch your breath a little bit. I know everybody's sad that, you know, for the most part that the weather's turning and, you know, we're not able to do a lot of things outside as much now, but it's a really good time while things are fresh in your mind to reflect and what made you feel good, what made you feel bad, what made you feel unsure, what made you feel confident, all those things of trying to to take stock of, you're right, like what a weird year it was, but um, even so for grass, it was definitely kind of a an odd summer. Even for you, I mean, you in the, in the drought situation, I thought of this the other day, for you in particular, but imagine if you had not put your irrigation system in last year, like what kind of a awful year would this have been yeah in well your, i mean your situation i was probably maybe 75 to 80 percent there with my makeshift system before because honestly the way i had it laid out most of the heads are pretty much in the exact same position that they are now mm-hmm. it was just having to move that thing around and get it out of the way when you mow and especially real mode because mowing every other day is then just becomes such a pain and it becomes so time consuming. So yes, you're absolutely right. Like that would have been a complete nightmare. Probably I would have given up at some point and just probably said like, (laughs) I'm going to do a renovation this fall. Hey, imagine that Ryan. Uh, Yeah. Just, just let, you know, just let yourself go and, you know, pack it in. But like I said, I was just thinking about, you know, hey, you know, this, this choice, if I would have done this different or that different. And somehow I got to thinking about, man, that was a really good idea that Ryan had to go ahead and stick that thing in the ground last year. Yeah. Now I do wish I would have had some in the backyard because I think I would have been able to better control what happened back there, which is one of my things that we'll get into on my didn't go so well, learn some things list. But yeah, it just... Not having that back there with bluegrass and with it being facing the west and just blazing sun every day, all day, I mean, it just doesn't doesn't work very well without having some sort of consistent water source that's got good coverage. Yeah, and I think that's a great, like, it just viewpoint of it where, you know, we get into the season and there's so much going on and you're thinking about, you know, what's the weather going to do? When, I'm gonna, when am I going to actually be able to make this application or, you know, I'm, I'm two days behind on mowing. Like you're freaking out about all these little things that like now, if you ask yourself, you know, at Thanksgiving of 2020, you're like, who gives a crap? Like it, it wasn't that big of a deal. Like you made it work, but to sit back and look now and say, okay, you know, if this was somebody else's lawn and I was being asked to come in and give them advice, what are the things I would tell them? You know, how do we strip away all those biases that we have of, oh, you know, the back's not so bad without irrigation. And then, you know, Ryan Knorr from June 2020 or July 2020 is writing a note to Ryan Knorr of November 2020 saying, you're an asshole. You This sucks. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you know, exactly. So it's just being able to take stock. And the 
point of this whole exercise, I think for anybody is, is all these things that we do are like insurance policies, right? We're paying forward to eliminate or mitigate risk to a certain extent possible that we can, right? So if we're on a fungicide program, do we need to do that? Well, okay, if we're willing to accept the risk of not having something out there to protect us against whatever, you know, plant pathogen that might be out there, sure, you can go for it. But if you do and you stay the course and everything seems fine, like, did that work? And so I guess that's what, you know, I really want to unpack starting today. But as we go through this winter and we start to take apart some of this other stuff, you know, layer by layer, it's thinking, was it just your fungicide program, for example, that saved your butt on disease this year? Was it the weather? Was it your watering practices? Was it your mowing practices? There's all these things that kind of go into that. And so I'm interested to hear your, you know, your list. And especially when you put it in the context of, you know, your uh, continued journey and path through learning and observing and picking up more stuff. Well, I think that's becomes really the difficult part is figuring out with so many variables, like which one actually did what you thought it was going to do in terms of if you had a success with something, you know, like you just said, was it this program? Was it your fertilization that you changed? Was it better irrigation practices? All of these things. There's so many different working factors in there that you can't necessarily always pinpoint which one worked. You're just like, oh, everything went well, great. But you would like to know why for the most part too. To So going forward, you're going to be able to sort of replicate that. But the thing is, for me too, is every single year, there's just some wrench thrown into something. And I think it's just how you adapt to those things. And the biggest thing I've learned talking to you is that don't think that all these things uh, are something that don't happen in the pro world or any of those people that I've talked to this year that do that for a living and they're taking care of this piece of turf and it has to look good. And there's always problems and things that have to be adapted. So I think that gave me, myself, and hopefully to our audience that we've been talking about too, a little more insight into the fact that everything is not perfect for everyone and there's always learning going on. Yeah, that's that's the fact is if, if you're not learning, you're not pushing yourself and, and all that, you know, not to get into the, again, the college lecture series here, but from a turf perspective, you're right that you know, you don't, you don't want to sit there and tinker with it so much that, like you said, that you're introducing all these new things that, hey, I put, you know, 10 new ingredients into this, uh, this dish. I don't know what makes it taste better, but by God, it tastes better. Well, you know, sometimes on the pro side, we're looking at that from the economic standpoint of, okay, if I could spend money on those two of those things that make it better, why do I want to not, you know, do the eight other ones? Mm-hmm. And I think at the homeowner level, maybe that's not so much of a concern because it's a smaller scale, but at the same time, like I think you're fighting against at that level, your time, your equipment, what you have available to do, what, you know, what your expertise or comfort level is with certain things. Cause you got to wear a lot of hats to do everything quote unquote. Well, yep. So yeah, I think well, just, and I think you know me well enough now that even year one, when I was working on my yard, I was treating it like I better know exactly what I'm doing. And, mad when everything didn't go exactly the way it was because I just I take everything as in like if I'm going to be a professional at this no matter what it is like quote unquote professional even if I'm not doing that for my job like that's how I treat everything in my life 
just I want to know the most that I can about whatever topic. I want to be the best at it. I want to go all in. And that's just how I was. So when I started my lawn stuff too, year one, I remember just all these different things and I would take pictures and I would write down notes and say, what is this? How come I don't know what it is? And how am I going to find out what it is? And over time, now I've just become not only just from meeting people like you, but doing the research and having just flat out experience, you just can't replace that. Uh, like we always talk about, you really can't replace experience for just looking at something in a textbook all the time. Of course, that's important, but being out there in the field is is different too. Yeah, and it's that difference between like the 10 foot view and the 10,000 foot view. So that means that you know, if you're, if you're that far into it, nobody's going to know your property better than you, right? If you're really meticulous and you're observant and you're trying to, you know, always improve, even if it's just, you know, a little tiny bit, nobody's going to know that one better than you. On the flip side of that though, you've got the, the issue that if it doesn't happen in your lawn and you've never seen it before, as soon as it happens, it's like, Oh crap. Like, what is this? I've, I've never seen this before. And there's probably somebody two doors down or two miles away or two towns over that's like, oh, yeah, that's, you know, the dollar spot or, you know, right over here. That's a localized dry spot. No big deal. I'm going to do X, Y, Z, one, two, three. We're going to knock this thing out. But as soon as you see it, though, it's like, oh, shit. Yep. What are we doing here? And, and then, like you said, you get that whole like soul sucking feeling of like, I'm a failure. What have I done? I've had all this money and time and everything, right? You know, like all those, all that self-talk starts and it's like, no, you're fine. Like we'll get through this. And uh, I think that's the important part is just being able to realize that there's probably almost always, always, always there's somebody that's faced that exact situation. And so I think that's part of being a pro is, you know, one having the confidence to say, okay, it's going to be okay. And we got to figure out how we're going to work through this problem. And the, the more you do that, you build your process out. And it's just, you know, changing the pieces and parts that go yeah. into that process. And the, the advantage of the homeowner thing is that you have such a small thing to actually look at there in terms of your yard. And you can go outside every day and really keep track of what's going on. But the, on the flip side of it, for someone like me, it's uh, it can be overwhelming because I have all of these you know, every day I see this little spot and I'm like, well, that's not fixed yet. I need to figure out how to do that. Whereas if you're working like you were before on a golf course, you have to have some areas that you're like, this is just going to be the way it is. I can't fix all of this at one time. Oh no. Everything you just said (laughs) happens on a golf course. Like you could have 240 acres out there and and you're thinking, we might be thinking it, but realistically, well, realistically, but there's always those spots. There's always, always, always those spots. Yeah, there, there's definitely like those categories of like, okay, like I've done all I can do. This is in such a, you know, out of the way spot or it's in a place where it's got poor design and I can't overcome that kind of thing. But there's always those spots of man, that back left to number five green. I hate that. And I hate that it hates me. And I hate that I can't make it do what I want it to do. And if I could just, you know, do this or that or whatever. Mm-hmm. And the the funny thing is, though, with, with all that kind of stuff is, and this is just, you know, experience over the years, is that simplicity really does work. Like, it sounds so cliche and so dumb that, okay, like, you know, a good example, you know, on the golf course uh, years ago, 
green that struggled and was, you know, surrounded by a lot of shade and a lot of trees and things like that, you know, contributed to lack of air movement. Uh, so, you know, on a hot, humid day, you'd have a breeze out in the fairway, but down by the green, it would be just like dead still air, all that kind of stuff. And it's just like, you know, everybody's like, well, you got to spray this and you need this special fertilizer that increases photosynthesis. And, you know, you got to up your fungicide. It's like, okay, why don't we cut down some trees first? you know, that are blocking, you know, crucial sunlight that we, we can identify those and pick them out, you know, surgically, which ones are which. And then let's clear all this underbrush out of here so the wind can blow through here. And then we ended up putting a, a big fan in there, a big, huge green span to move air in there too. And I'll tell you what, those three things, uh, not the cheapest thing up front, but over the long term, like completely changed the game. Didn't change anything with fertility, didn't change anything with you know, spraying stuff. And sometimes that's not always, you know, possible uh, at any level, whether it's pro or homeowner, but you got to look at, okay, what's the, what's the right thing to do here to, to make this happen. Mm-hmm. And a lot of times it's just simple things, air, light, sun, water, yeah. air, sunlight and uh, water. So I think in a home situation, probably the most that I hear about for difficulties would be like a shade problem where it, it's a yard that's, you know, it's, the house was built in the twenties or something and they've got all these huge trees covering everything. And they're just like, well, how come my yard is never good? It's like, well, well you can grow, you can grow trees and you can go grass, but you can't grow both very well together. Yeah. That's the old saying. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's at that point that, you know, you can try to get some more light in there and that's one thing. So, you know, limit things up and, you know, I think we can talk about that too, of those special situations, uh, in which you got to kind of look at all possible avenues if, if you want to have good grass. And there's certain things like you just made a great point. Like there are certain absolutes that there's only a certain level that you can get along like that too. Like if it's heavily shaded and it's got a bunch of mature hardwood trees and that type of thing, like there's only so much grass that you're going to have, and it's only going to look so good. And you just either have to accept that or you have to change the environment. And so I think that's, in looking at, you know, your situation year over year and trying to evaluate things, it's, you got the short-term, long-term goals, right? You've got the, the short-term stuff of, Hey, I'm going to, you know, make this little adjustment here and, and, and change my, you know, fertility plan or something like that. Um, get a new mower, you know, all these things that, that add up, but it's those big ticket items of knowing, okay, Hey, you know what? I want to have some more grass under there. So I'm going to, you know, either hire it out or I'm going to do it myself and prune up these trees so that we can get some more sunlight in here or something like that. Or I'm going to put an irrigation system in so that I can maintain this lawn, you know, at a real mode height and mow it every two days. Like those are things that are changing your situation for the better. Now it's not always cheap. Um, but those things are, those are the ones that move the needle. Yep. So yep. that's what you got to do. So, so I want to hear what the, uh, are you are you a bad news first kind of guy or a good news first? Or do you like to just kind of ride uh, both sides of the fence? You know, I think we could probably go through the whole list of like good at one time and then bad at one time instead of going back and forth. But mm-hmm. I don't know. How, one thing I was going to say is uh, last night, well, yesterday it snowed here, but it wasn't supposed to snow. And then I was out running some errands and all of a sudden it just like was blizzarding basically like huge wet snow. So no big deal, but everybody of course forgets how to drive and they don't know what they're doing. So 
I got home, and then last night, um, our dog, well, one of our dogs had surgery last week, then our other dog has a lot of health issues, and he's been having some trouble again. So last night, I went outside at like 2, 2 a.m. with him, and it was still icy, and it was raining, and so I was like, I'm going to go slide down my little ramp instead of trying to go off of these steps on my deck. So... I went to slide on down the little ramp and just completely biffed it, like hit my back. I, I'm just very, very lucky that I didn't hit my head because I didn't have my phone. I didn't have anything. And my wife was asleep and would have never like, if I was passed out, she would not have found me for quite some time. So that was lucky. But today I'm just sitting here like trying not to move very much because I pretty much every muscle in my back is like just sore right now. So how's your uh how's your weather been out there since we last talk it's been pretty good i mean overall it's uh it's cooled off for sure and we're trying to work through um you know some of that as far as you know the when it gets wet now like it just stays wet longer and in trying to get like air fires out or trying to get applications down stuff like that it just makes it tough um to work around some of that but you know, you do get those stretches of dry days. Like here, the last two days, it's been mid forties and fairly dry. Uh, but in between that, we've had a couple uh, pretty good rainstorms that, that just, like I said, just make it tough to work. So, mm-hmm. just trying to be smart about you know what we've said before about not getting out there when it's too sloppy, creating more of a mess. Um, and and you know, in the in the long term, set yourself back. You know, come spring or something like that. Yeah. Yep, for sure. It's we're finally getting some rain today, but it's I don't know. It, it we're still so far behind that I don't think looking at the forecast, it's still looking like it's going to be like in the 50s here in the next 2 weeks in December. So, I mean, obviously that's not really snow weather. So, I don't know what's going to happen, but it seems that winter has come down to like January and February here basically the last few years and it kind of seems the same this year, but even even March for us, I and mean, we've had some very extended winters into spring, and that's that's caused some problems too. But yeah, it's it's a good time, you know, to slow down and not be pushing too too hard. I think that's that's one caveat, at least here through the Midwest. And I know it's it's been different um, further south. It's been a little bit better as far as uh, late fall weather into early winter, but. For us here, it's now is not the time to go hog wild. Yep. And I say that, and somebody just sent me a picture of their front yard as they're putting uh, drain pipe in it, as it's all completely torn up. So <laughs> that's 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 funny. But you know, last, you must have heard me. Last week, I did. Uh, I actually had to mow again, which was it was fairly long. And then I did one more application of some liquid at a pretty low dose, just for the last sort of thing for the year, and just gonna let it be as it is now and see where it takes me. I may at some point have another mow if it continues with the weather we're having, but for the most part, it's, uh, it's pretty much done, but still looks good and green. So was that whole story about falling down in the near blizzard? Um, was that like the microcosm of like a, a Browns or a Vikings game? Like you almost lost, but then you won. I guess so. I don't know. I th- I guess I would say it was a win in the end because I'm not laying outside with my head hit on the pavement. But 
Yeah, no, nobody wants to see you freeze to death, Ryan. We, no. we love you. No. So, all right, I'm going to start so, off with one of my. Uh, I I pretty much went in chronological order as far as. Luckily for me, I have my videos to go sort of use as a journal, so I know what happened during the year, and that's kind of nice. So I went back, went through the videos, and I, I would say starting out the year, one thing that was a pro for me that I sort of feel like I got a better handle on was soil testing, how to make sure to properly do it, get the good proper samples, and then also looking at my soil tests. I'm still a little high on pH that I'd like to work on bringing down slightly, but for the most part, I balanced out as far as my nutrients go. I was really high on phosphorus before, and that kind of came back in check a little bit. Um, So that was good. And then I have just everything pretty much balanced a little better than I did the year before. So that that was something that I wanted to sort of focus on there. So with the reduction in phosphorus, were you collecting clippings then? I was. When you mow every time, yeah. So that's the that's the key is you know for anybody listening is if you're trying to reduce that uh, number, you can't keep returning it into the system because it's just going to stay you know relatively high. The grass is going to consume some, but not to the level yeah. that you're going to see a massive reduction. And so. I adjusted my fertilizers too, as to going with stuff that's a lot, you know, there was a few applications of some liquids in there where I'm using a small amount of phosphorus, but the, on the real mode stuff, that's not a huge deal to me. But for the most part, otherwise I was sticking more with like a fifteen zero fifteen or something like that throughout the rest of them to kind of take those clippings, but also not add a, a ton more. And now I think I'm better in balance where I can go more towards a slightly more balanced program. But yeah, I think if you get into that mindset of highly managed turf, like that one-to-one and decay, those products are perfect. And then you manage your, you know, your phosphorus separate from that. So whether that's a map application, 1152.0 or a DAP application, 1846.0, use those to kind of boost that number up. And a lot of people will use starter and, that's all well and good. Like it's easy to find and, and, and locate and everything like that. But, you know, being able to zero in on that one particular nutrient and there's a, there's a lot that goes with that. I mean, between, uh, you know, Minnesota, Wisconsin, Maryland, there's a variety of States, most um, East coast and Midwest that have um, regulatory stuff, laws around mm-hmm. phosphorus applications. Uh, so, being considerate of that is really, really important because, you know, the, the pros are doing everything they can, generally speaking, to do that. And so on a, at a homeowner level, it's, you know, it's easy to claim or feign ignorance and say, oh, I, I didn't know. But only use that when you need it yeah. um, and use your soil testing. But that's good to hear that you kind of got that locked down and figured out, right? Yeah, that felt that felt good to, to get a process going there and feel like I made some progress. So is that going to be like an every year thing now, or is that still like a every other year? Or what's your yeah. what's your take on on the frequency of that? I I mean I don't think necessarily it has to be done every year, especially in a home situation. But for me, it's very in, inexpensive. It costs like sixteen fifty to do the soil test, and I just kind of like looking at what happened year to year and see where I'm at. And just, I mean, it's inexpensive enough for me that I, I find it necessary and or useful, I guess. Yeah, for sure. The, the cost of it is negligible. And a lot of times, 
even over a two year span, you can save back that, that fee, you know, that you spend in choosing better fertilizer, the right fertilizer, so on and so forth. So absolutely. Uh, you know, I always liken it to if, if you were going to take, you know, some type of prescription drug medic, you know, like, uh, cholesterol meds, you'd get a blood test first and figure out that, oh yeah, you've got high cholesterol. You wouldn't just be like, Hey, why don't you take this pill that's going to potentially sap your energy, have all these side effects and, yeah. you know, whatever else, like, no, I'm not going to do that. So, but too often we, we just, uh, we get into this mindset and, and I'm not picking on anybody, but I hate, I, I'll say that word. I, I strongly dislike the throw her down term. Like that's just really ugh, like kind of irresponsible when it comes to fur anyway. There's certain things you can say that for that's not going to hurt, but in the fur world, just know what you're putting down and why. Yeah. So, yeah, I agree. Yeah. So what else? What's uh, what else is on the list in terms of the good, the bad, um, and even the ugly? Well, let's see. I overseeded a, a little section of my lawn in spring last year, which is of course a big no no in terms of you know, a lot of people in their idea of what what's possible and oh my god, you're gonna have so much crabgrass take over everything that you're not gonna have. so I wanted to test that. Um I had a really thin area from the year before that had washed out three or four times. So eventually by the time I got it done, it was bluegrass. It was very slow, and so there was a decent stand there. I won't definitely say that it was just the seeding that succeeded because bluegrass, obviously, as it matures, gets way, way better into that the later part of that season, too. But mm-hmm. I did do that. I did not have any major, major problems with crabgrass because I just think it got thick enough to the point where it was helping to shade out a lot of that. And the areas that I did have any issues, I was able to pretty much just pull by hand like you know as As i do i walk out every day and i say oh here's here's something to pull and i that's kind of my program i know it's not for everybody because they don't have that kind of time in their own yard but that's really mainly how i do a lot of things with weeds is except for clover which we'll talk about and that's one of my nemesis problems right (laughs) now but otherwise uh, a lot of stuff i just pull by hand as it's coming up yeah, and I think if you can site, you know, uh, site in on a specific area, it's it's very simple to do that. And a lot of times, you hear, well, that's a okay. A good example of if we, if we haven't covered this term before, IPM, integrated pest management, where you know we're using the least. Uh, I'm not sure what, what word I'm going to use here, but forceful. Let's just say uh, method of control, meaning that you know, hey if we can hand pull this as opposed to come out here and spray, you know, post-emergent herbicide on crabgrass, then just hand pull it, you know? Mm-hmm. And typically in those situations, it's real easy to pick out where the crabgrass is, you know? And so that's another thing where understanding one, the, the things you can do to mitigate it. So like using uh, tenacity as, as a pre, which is not a foolproof, deal whatsoever when it comes to summer annuals and doing a spring seeding, but it helps. It helps, right? It's better. It's better than doing nothing. And so, you know, you get in this, uh, this idea that, well, if something comes up, I'm just going to spray it. Well, why not just go out there with like your pocket knife and pick out a few of those plants that have popped up and yep. just do that. It's really not it just, that difficult. It honestly isn't like, it doesn't take that long to just 
every day take a little piece and say, oh yeah, I've got this little section over here. And if you catch it early, like those plants are so easy to pull out. It's, it's not difficult. Yeah, you can do it with your, sometimes you do it with your thumb and your forefinger. And so that's just something again, where I think, you know, we talk about it often is people want to look for a product to do it for them or a solution to do it for them. And again, sometimes it's just, you know, good old fashioned eyesight and hard work of bending down and pulling that stuff out. And, and the payoff is one, you don't have to go buy and find time to mix up and apply all those chemicals and everything like that. And I got nothing against, you know, using chemicals in the right place, but the payoff is, is that you're, not only getting those weeds taken care of, but you're actually actively looking over that area, even if it's every two or three days, Mm -hmm. you know, um, to see if anything else is popping up because you put a significant amount of time and effort probably to prep it and seed it and do all those things. So don't just rely on the crutch of, well, I'll throw this down and it'll take care of it. And that'll be the end of it. It's like, well, that's there, there are not, there's nothing that absolute in turf other than like, you know, your makes the grass green Mm -hmm. and yep don't need any fancy marketing for that. So I think my disappointment in terms of a lot of what goes on, on, on maybe YouTube and comments from people and stuff is that once they see a yard like mine, like the way that it's managed, it's instantly looked at as like, Oh, you must be ruining the environment. You must be doing all these things to make it look that way. When in reality, I don't really, I've never really mass like fully sprayed my front yard with anything other than fertilizers uh, and a little bit of preventative fungicide sometimes. But otherwise, like I don't go crazy spraying weeds or anything because I don't have many issues with it. Once you're taking care of it, you're on top of things, hand pulling too. And that's pretty much what I do. Well, and so it's, you know, it's funny and I, I agree with you hundred percent. The, the, the optics of, lawn care and turf management in general always favor um, folks who want to conserve or to limit the use of pesticides. And please understand from my point of view that I'm, I'm behind that to the extent possible that we're able to provide the landscape that people choose that they want to have or provide the playing surfaces that people feel safe on or want to enjoy, like whatever the case might be. Uh, when it comes to turf, but you know, the, the funny thing in a lot of those cases is, um, you know, the same people that would say, well, let's return it to, uh, something that's more natural and do, you know, a xeriscape or let's do, uh, native plantings and that sort of thing, which I, I think can be successful in the right homeowner's hands is, is taking a manicured lawn out of the equation. But then it's going to be, well, there's a lot of bugs and mosquitoes and ticks out here now. Mm-hmm. This is awful. And so, again, it just shows that no matter what you do, we're always trying to control nature. Like, you know, God or whoever your creator is did not put us, you know, a subdivision in the cornfield, in the plains, in Iowa, where you live, Ryan. Like, it just no. didn't happen. No. And so, in all these situations and settings we're trying to control nature. And so it's easy. It's always easy to, you know, zero in on one specific element within these giant systems that are, you know, cities, communities, you know, earth, everything. Right. Mm-hmm. And, and moving the needle. I don't know. I don't know that that does. I mean, I think there's, 
some interesting stuff I've, I've heard and read here, especially in this last year that some of it's not as recently published as this year, but um, where people are definitely anti-law. And there's one that maybe we can, we can dig into on a uh, point counterpoint basis uh, here coming up. But in that one in particular is interesting. But again, the idea that um, just because your lawn's green means it took a lot of water for it to be green or it took a lot of pesticides or a lot of fertilizer. And the whole point of you know plant breeding and where we're at right now with you know different cultivars and different species that are coming out, um, why you're seeing Bermuda grass push north. I mean, it's all responding to the climate and the type of environments that we're trying to put these grasses in and do it with as minimal resources as possible. Does that really mean anything dollars and cents wise to uh, a homeowner that's got a three to 8,000 square foot lawn? No, probably not. Like not enough to really, you know, worry about it. Definitely does that, you know, a sports field or a side farm or a golf course or something like that. But that's who they're breeding this stuff for. They're not necessarily, you know, there's definitely, you know, cultivars and varieties out there that are bred for homeowners, but the super high end stuff that a lot of our listeners would get into and consider like that's for the top end. And it, and those top end people don't want to have to water any more than they need to, don't want to have to fertilize any more than they need to, don't want to have to put any more pesticides down than they need to. And so I think that's the fallacy in that thinking that, uh, that unfortunately you face, you know, because you put your work out there for everybody to see to such a wide audience. Um, it's unfortunate. It's unfortunate that people think that way. And I'd love to have a common sense discussion with, you know, Hey, there are benefits and there's trade-offs yep. any way you slice this. Well, there's a couple things to kind of go off of that too, is a lot of people that I wish in my particular neighborhood, I guess, if we're just looking at that as sort of part of that conversation, mm-hmm. if, if everyone in my neighborhood would just basically one mow properly, like even if they didn't want to do it once or twice, let's say even once every two weeks and they just set their mower as high as it would go and let things grow in thicker and maybe twice a year put one application of fertilizer on the amount of everything going on there in terms of weed control and things that you would need. Like in my backyard before, when it was like three, three and a half inches tall, I never sprayed anything. I never had, and I have weeds everywhere around me, like all on all sides coming in. So, I mean, mm-hmm. in terms of that, like I think oh, if, if people wanted to look at it that way in terms of a whole neighborhood, how could it improve and actually cut down on using more chemicals would be some of those cultural practices, but you know, you can't make people do anything. So in terms of me, I'm dealing with it actually having a lot more trouble just because of what's next to me and fighting all that stuff off. But number two was as I was looking through those videos, I was I saw the one this past year that I, I did on like how to get rid of dandelions and some of the easiest like broadleaf weeds. And I was like, the first thing I said in that video was usually the solution to this, if you just have a few here and there, is so easy. Go out and like use one of those little tools and just pop them out. It's easy. Mm-hmm. And nobody watched the video who wanted to crucify me. All they did was come on there and say, oh, you're terrible. Like One comment was like, the depths of hell are, are for people like you and this and that. And I'm like, you didn't watch oh, yeah, anything. Definitely. You didn't watch yeah, anything. You didn't, you didn't watch any of it. So... Yeah, the, you're never going to get through to this, people. And that, that's, you know, I think the you're right, though. Your first point was spot on. Like, if there was as much 
uh, emotion and effort put behind just educating uh, homeowners on what I, what I would call basic lawn care etiquette. And that means I think you'd have a much more substantial impact on the environment as a whole if you would teach people, uh, okay, like let's just say fertilizer, right? Uh, there's a thing, we've talked about it before in here briefly, the four hours of fertilizer, right time, right place, right product. Um, if you would just teach people something like that, like, hey, put this down at this time and also make sure that if it's on any of your paved or impervious surfaces, you blow it back into the lawn so it doesn't wash down the storm sewer. When you're mowing your grass, you know, don't take all those clippings and blow them out in the street so that they go down the storm sewer and end up down there because you're loading up that... Um, that watershed with a bunch of nitrogen, phosphorus, potassium, and you know, the other micronutrients. And that's only gonna cause more problems for you downstream. So just stuff like that, where I, I just feel like you would have such a, uh, a larger and more widespread impact if there was more focus on that and less so on stop spraying weed killer and, and, and do that. I thought also think too is you know, we don't make it easy to, you know, for people that do want to go the organic route of finding good resources like that. And there's, there's a lot of, um, there's not been a, t a ton of really great research done. There's been some, and it really has been in that, in that field or in that realm uh, within turf. And the whole point there is that you get a lot of these claims that oh you know this you can this is organic and you can uh kill dandelions with it if you spray it on there okay maybe you can you know first of all you know can you show me some research that says that and two what's it made out of you know and a lot of times like a, a product for that a lot of times there's one great big giant online uh company right now that's that's marketing that particular type of product and all it is is um, a, a derivative of like ferrous sulfate, basically. Mm -hmm. So you're yeah. you're burning the plant, you know, with a salt. But the question I always have is, okay, yeah, you're doing that, and that's organic. But then, what does that do when it gets into a soil ecosystem, right? What about all the biology in the soil and everything like that? And people could say the same thing for conventional, but you know, pesticides and fertilizers. Don't get me wrong. But is what you're doing just simply because it's derived from a certain source or something like that, does that make it mm -hmm. uh, safer because it's all natural, you know, which is completely different than organic. But yeah, so again, it's just, it, there's things like that where I think we can do a better job as a whole. And there's really nobody out there. There's not a whole lot of voices of just, Hey, here's all the facts. Here's all the information, you know, without bias, how do you sift through and sort through what's white, what's wrong and what is best for me? you know, which might be different than what's best for you, Yeah, you know, because we have a different set of ideals, beliefs, situations, lawns, all that kind of stuff. So it, it gets pretty deep, but I'm glad you brought that up about just. Well, that lawn, that lawn care right etiquette video is actually like, maybe I could make something like that. It's a pretty good idea. Honestly, the problem that I've had with it is that the people who really need to see it are the ones that will never see it because they're not, they're not interested in it. Like they're not coming to YouTube to look at lawn care videos and learn how to do it when they don't care. Like, I mean, I have so many, oh, people, I agree. you know, and that's the problem is, but like you said, I completely agree with what you said. There's a few easy things that you could do and everyone's landscape would look better 
and you really aren't even trying. Number one, like I said, is a major issue I see every single day around here. It's just people who have that in their mind, like, I hate mowing. I don't want to mow. So I'm going to scalp off this grass every single time I mow it. And then two weeks later, I'm going to do the same thing. And then all of a sudden, the whole yard is weeds within like a year to two years. And then they're just like, well, you know, what did I do about it? I don't really care. Well, you're making everyone else have a problem just because you don't want to do one simple thing, which is not scalp the grass. And then they go out with weed and feed. Yep. It's, you know, dusty dry. Yep. Spread that all over the place, get more in the driveway than they do on the grass. And then it ends up down the drain. The weeds don't get killed. The weeds grow faster because they're now fertilized and like the whole cycle starts over again. Bingo. It's like, yeah. Uh, hey, you see it all the time, you know, hate to see it, but, but you do. So you're right. I don't know. I think the, the, I think having that video would be an important piece in the sense that maybe there are people that come there and they don't realize that they don't know what they don't know, right. Whether they're beginning or they're so far into it that maybe they never picked that stuff up. I mean, these are like really, really fundamental things that you could easily overlook as you're getting into some of these higher uh, and deeper topics. But to the extent that uh, what the path is to get those people, you know, the Joe six pack that's three doors down from you that mows once every 10 days and doesn't care. Or like the guy who's a street over from me that every time he mows his tree strip, you know, between the oh, sidewalk yeah. and the street, his old size discharge 20 inch Murray is just <laughs> blowing rooster tails <laughs> of crabgrass seeds and curly dog and any, any kind of yep. green shit you can think of out in the street. And I always just want to drive by and like, man, like I don't care to hit my car with it, but can you just clean it up? Like, you know, yep. get yourself a broom and, and a yard waste bag and just take care of that. But they don't. And so that's the kind of stuff that I think from a, a, a uh, the more, you know, campaign, you know, turf, you should know, or something like that. We'll have to, we'll have to riff on that a little bit here yeah. off air and yep. come up with something like that. But yeah, that's interesting. That was, a, that was a pretty good wormhole. That was a, that was an interesting win for you. I agree. You just won something else right there. Right so there. So it was a good idea. Well, let's go to something right that you, uh, let's go to one of your positives from the year. Oh man. Positives, uh, you know, from, um, I'd say all the way around from, um, clients, customers, people I deal with you is just, you know, people in the midst of everything that was going on. Um, it, would, it was an easier to pull back and say, oh, you know, we can't spend, we can't do this, we can't. And I just did not hear a lot of that. I heard a lot of optimism where, you know, hey, things are, are going to turn around at some point and we have to be ready. And nobody knew when that time was going to be and it was different for everybody. So I just think the, you know, finding some uh, some confidence in people from their, their steadiness through this whole thing has been you know, remarkable. It, Cause like I said, it was an easy year for people to give up, throw the talent and say, you know what, screw it. We're not going to, you know, we're not going to do this project this year. We're not going to maintain the fields, the, you know, the way that we should, because we have to save money. I think everybody knew that um, things were going to get better and there, there's still definitely a lot of room to improve. Uh, and we hope that 21 is, is far, far better, but um, I'm just really appreciative and grateful for that. I mean, I, th- I look back and think about, you know, the times that I was genuinely concerned about, um, you know, business or, you know, relationships and things like that with customers of how it was going to go. Um, and 
nobody at any time, you know, there's plenty of opportunities to do it, but that was a really, really positive point. So I take that as a win. And like I said, I'm grateful for it here as we uh, head into Thanksgiving. I have some similar things with that sort of same sentiment, I guess, is just how many emails I got here towards the end of the year from people who had that same thing of like, well, I never have had time to do this. And I've always, you know, I've always wanted to make my yard look better or make my home look better. And that and, and along with just, I could get their sense of how it really changed their their year in terms of getting away from all the other stuff that was really dragging on people and having mm-hmm. a, a something positive for them to look forward to and to really dive into and learn. And that's what I always have loved about what, what turf and even just doing it at your house can do for you is just because it's sort of like you're, you see it every day and you see the progress and it just gives you that boost along the way of learning something. And, and, uh, you know, it's a hobby for a lot of people, for other people, it's more than that. But I think even just in the hobby sense, just the improvements that I saw in, in emails and stuff of before and after pictures, is very uplifting to me too. Yeah. I, I mean, I think too, from, from my own personal uh, sentiment is that being able to do like, you know, stuff like this and interacting with a bunch of other people uh, through a variety of means, you know, and I wouldn't say just educating. It's just me, me as much learning and trying to appreciate turf from a different vantage point or different vantage points, plural. Uh, it's, it's been fun because uh, like you said, we, you know, we talked about it a little bit earlier is, you know, you only see what you see and you need that experience. And so I'm just like a junkie. Like I want to be thrown into or be exposed to as many situations that I can and try to like MacGyver my way out of it and think about, Hey, this, this, and this. And a lot of times, you know, there's been a number of times here uh, this year where I've gotten to feel uncomfortable and that's good because I've had like, Oh, Hey, I'll do this, this, and this. And then, you know, somebody that I now know and trust, you know, multiple people will jump in and say, well, what about this, this, and that when you do that? And it's like, well, shit, like, I didn't think about that. Like, that's, this is good. Like, I just got my butt kicked a little bit. And now I need to kind of, you know, take stock. And so I think those, uh, those opportunities to, to learn and grow in a completely different way, you know, it's not like I'm going to work somewhere different, or um, I'm completely shifting gears or something like that. It's just, you know, trying to find more opportunities to share information and learn through other people's experiences and mm-hmm. uh, their willingness to share. So it's been that's been a positive as well. Yeah. Well, I think another one on my list of things that I felt like I did pretty well was related to our drought and m- managing the moisture on my turf that was cut under an inch is never in a super easy thing to do in July with perennial ryegrass or bluegrass or. Mm-hmm any of those. And I think I, you might remember too, the, the day that I pulled a soil temperature of like 93 <laughs> or something. I don't remember the exact number, but it was over 90. And, it was hot. Yeah. And so looking at all that and looking back at, at what it looked like, yeah, there's definitely some pictures that I saw where I'm like, well, it doesn't, it doesn't look great, great, but considering the conditions, considering all of those things with about six weeks of no rain. I mean, I'm pretty happy with the the way that managing that went. And also just the fact that I feel like I better dialed in how to figure out that management of the water. 
Yeah. And I, that's, that's one thing too, that I thought about just briefly when you were mentioning like the variables and everything like that, that how do we know what's working um, when we're going through these situations and especially like now setting up for 21. So I guess first is you got to set a system up before you get into the ship, right? Like, cause you're trying to yeah. like engineer your way out of a situation versus like work your way out of a situation in the, in the heat of the moment. It ain't, it just ain't going to work well. Like it, it's tough. It's tough to do that unless you have a lot of support and people helping you. Um, and so like what you were saying about, okay, well, how do I know if it was X input or Y input that gave me, you know, this result. So two things on that would be, I, I really strongly can, uh, encourage people to do checkbox. So when you're doing uh, fertilizer applications or you're doing um, pesticide applications, just take a small piece and it just needs to be like a piece of cardboard. It could be the lid of a shoebox. It could be the shoebox itself. It could be something smaller, right? Is just put that out and then see what happens. Now, the larger uh, check plot you have, the more sample size you have, the better chance you have of seeing how good or bad it didn't or did or didn't work. But that's going to give you a sense of, hey, if I spray, you know, uh, pre-emergent and I leave a check plot and the check is hammered with crabgrass, I'm going to know, hey, this was pretty darn effective. Mm -hmm. And I could probably even count out and say, hey, I've got, you know, one plant every square foot where I put pre-emergent down and I've got 10 plants, you know, in the spot where I didn't in one square foot. So things like that and being able to quantify, I think are really, really important. Um, and that kind of gives me the next one is the quantification of, okay, what am I doing? And, and this is, you know, getting into... Uh, maybe a little bit deeper of where a lot of some folks might want to go. But when it comes to like irrigation, like you were talking about managing soil moisture and stuff like that, like there is a way to quantify that. And there is a way to make that very simple and even tie back into, uh, depending on what type of irrigation controller you have, your irrigation controller, right? And I think that's something that, you know, knowing what you have in your yard is really, really important. You can go off of, you know, we've talked about you know, ET before evapotranspiration and how much, you know, precipitation do we need to replace what we lost today because it was dry or windy or sunny or whatever the case might be. Um, that's, that's a fairly straightforward way to do it, but that's not really necessarily indicating what is currently in your soil as far as moisture content. So looking at ways to quantify that. And then also too the quantifying not only what's there, but also, you know, as an inventory, but then also, your uh, inputs too. So knowing uh, when I run this zone for seven minutes, I'm going to get about, you know, uh, one tenth of an inch of water, you know, versus, well, I'm just going to run everything for seven minutes, you know, yep. three times a week, Monday, Wednesday, Friday, come hell or high water, that's when it's going to run. Like those are things where the, you know, the greater degree of control that you have, the more you can mitigate those risks of, Increase, increased weed pressure or uh, sometimes too wet, reduced herbicide efficacy or uh, increased disease pressure. So like I said, like all these things kind of play off of one another. And that's the way that you do it is you quantify it first and you leave yourself room to see what a control looks like against treated turf. Mm -hmm. And I needed a lot less water than I actually thought. Like the previous years, I knew... 
I think I was always trying to have in my head that all oh, this grass is cut really short, so I just have to be bombing it all the time, which really I wasn't even that year, but we had so much rain that it was basically being done that way anyway without me really wanting it to be that way, but I had no control. So this year I just learned like a lot better that I can get by with a lot less water than I thought. It's another thing going back to earlier where we were talking about people and seeing my yard online or something and saying, oh, you must bomb it with all this stuff to make it look like that. The same thing, the same comments come every day too about, oh, you must water your yard like a ton every day. What's your water bill? I'm like, well, actually during this whole time frame, I used less than an inch of water on this turf like every week and I everything survived. There's definitely different points where it got a little on the dry side, but I actually sort of wanted it to keep it that way so I wasn't fighting with fungus as much too. Uh, and that goes back into that, that turf etiquette too is, you know, irrigation etiquette. You know, don't be the, the, the doofus that does the whole, hey, Monday, Wednesday, Friday, 5 a.m., 10 minutes, it's easy. You know, like set it and forget it. Like, eh, it's, you can do better than that. Yep. And hell, if you're paying your water bill, I'd want to do better than that. Yeah, you know, and that's, that's a disappointment, <laughs> I think, in those, a lot of irrigation companies who honestly don't really know either what they should be telling people because they just set it when they leave. And every single day, it just goes on from that point. Like, let's water at 5 p.m. for 30 minutes. Like, every, like you said, every other day. And then you ask them, I asked my irrigation people when they were here, I was like, well, what do you have it set for? Well, we did like 15 minutes for this zone and blah, 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 blah. And I said, well, how do you know that's going to be accurate? Well, that's just usually what we do. Well, okay, but. <laughs> just your typical irrigation program. Right? Yeah, yeah. You know? Yeah, just your typical. I mean, just your typical dot, dot, dot. That'll be, uh, maybe that'll be the whole series that uh, you produce is just your typical dot, 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 one care topic. Mm-hmm. So that'll be interesting. But yeah, those are the things. So I, I'm I'm excited, you know, and we, we definitely have a couple more wins and losses to talk about here. But moving forward through the wintertime, we'll, we'll kind of foreshadow that at the end as, as to what we're going to do and how we're going to break down some of these topics but yeah i'm excited about just delving a little bit deeper of okay each individual topic and what it means but then also what's the interplay you know where can you maybe save yourself some trouble by doing this you know whatever this topic is right let's just say it's irrigation what kind of trouble can you save yourself and on the flip side what kind of trouble can you get yourself into if you don't do a good job and there's certainly a a lot of that when it comes to irrigation in particular, but no, I digress. So one of the things to, Oh, go ahead, go ahead. Yeah, go ahead. Go ahead. No, I was going to say one of the things uh, that I was going to bring up, it's it's funny you bring up uh, the irrigation piece is that uh, that was one thing I, you know, was a win this year was diving into the soil moisture meters, hard, hardcore. I could use those, um, the, the ones that you carry around with you that are portable, that you put in the ground in different spots. And those are good. Um, I think they're an important tool for me to have and be able to go spot check different areas and things like that. But the thing that I really got into this year were the in-ground sensors that you set and leave, and then you have remote access to them uh, via the web or the app. And so that's giving me real-time data to say, okay, 
Well, okay, you know, let's let's just equate it to sports fields for a second. I know that if we have uh, a football game on Friday night, like the field plays best between, uh, say, 23 and 28% moisture content. Okay, well, now I've got something I can shoot for, right? Mm -hmm. Now I've got, if I'm at, if we get a rainstorm and I'm 35% on Thursday, okay, well, now let's look at the weather. How much can I dry down if I've got, you know, 70 degree temperatures, a light breeze, full sun? Okay, you know, I know that from experience, we should dry down. I can do this because I can look at the graphs and model it over the weather. Okay, we should dry down somewhere between like six and 8%. So I should be right in my window, right? Might have to add a little bit of water or something like that versus uh, middle of summer. You know, okay, hey, we're at uh, 25% and man, it's going to be 90 degrees today. It's going to be really, really humid. And do I really want to put any water out there because I'm going to maybe increase my likelihood of disease? And so I know that, hey, when I've got high humidity, even if the temps are up, I'm only going to lose like one or maybe 3%. So I'll get down to that, you know, I'll go from 25, maybe down to 22. I know I'm still in my optimum range of where I want to be. And I can live with that. I don't put that water down, even though, you know, some people like, oh, it's hot. You got to water because it's hot. Well, that's not the whole story. And we've, we've talked about that before about, you know, um, watering strategies and everything like that when it's, when it's warm out versus, yeah. uh, you know, humid, hot, windy, not windy, all that kind of well, stuff. Well, I but. learned, that was another thing I learned, I think that I got much better at this year, was realizing how much the humidity and the higher humidity during those middle summer months actually helps me a lot in terms of keeping that moisture there and not going too crazy and just assuming that, well, it's 97 today, so I better go load that up with, with water tonight. <laughs> but the humidity was crazy, and they probably didn't lose a whole lot during the day. So, yeah. No wonder you did so many renovations over the years. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. All, all that, all those pathogens down there in the floor are like, mm, Ryan's got feeding time today. It's 97 and here comes a quarter inch of water. Yummy. Yep. There we go. Yeah. That was it. So, hey, it was, uh, it was good practice. It set up, it made some great content. So you mm -hmm. can't be mad about that. No. Right? Well, and most of the renovations that I've done have really been, wasn't necessarily like fixing damage as much as it was like, experiments with cultivars right different right. types of mowing heights and stuff like that but yes every year i was always struggling with especially in my backyard which we'll talk about here too was finding the right moisture back there and then with the bluegrass being cut taller it was mm -hmm. just it's always has been a nightmare back there so i'll be interested after the huge mistake that i made and which was Turned out to be actually, I think probably something good anyway. But the the whole tall fescue debacle that I did this year on my backyard, uh, I think that's going to be interesting next year to see how that goes compared to the bluegrass, compared to uh, withstanding the heat and trying to manage it better moisture wise, and and that too. Yeah, and that's the so much goes into that of of doing it really really well, and it requires you staying on top of it. And I think that's what you're going to see more and more of is, you know, we're starting to see um, smart controllers and there's certainly other like in-ground moisture sensors that tie into existing systems. I think that's going to be, you know, the, the marriage of those two technologies has not been very smooth so far in terms of, you know, uh, getting good data that translates into actionable 
data that you can rely on and say, hey, if it's like this each and every time, I know that I need to do X, Y, and Z. So that's the tricky part. Yeah. So for another thing that I think I want to do a little better next year would be trying to figure out the early spring program on my low cut stuff. Because this year, I remember the weather was very weird. It was like, it got a little warmer and then it really extended into being cool weather until like the beginning of May. So my normal thing in my head would be sort of let the grass go into that flush stage before I really do anything with it. And like, just let it kind of come out of that before I start adding even small amounts of fertilizer. But I think what happened this year with that was just I maybe needed to start a little small amount of spoon feeding a little earlier to try to get it actually going because the weather didn't really do it for me. And then by the time I got to about May, I looked back, it was around like May 5th or so was when I first started adding much for fertilizer. And it was only a small amount then too, but the turf just wasn't, it just didn't have that right spring look to it. It was just lagging along, didn't have the right color. So that's something I'm trying to dial in a little better next year. Yeah, I think in figuring out when that flush is, right, of knowing that you've got, okay, that's probably like what, late, mid, late April for you, right? Yeah, it should Something be. Like it should be, yeah. Yeah, that's all. I think that's always going to be tricky. And like you said, too, is the spring weather has just been really, really tough, you know, where you get those warm spells that wake the grass up and nearly get it jumping. And then you get those cool spells and it's just like, you know, the, the grass can't really figure out what's going on. So I do agree, though, that like having something, something out there, at least in a small amount, um, to, to be there, like when you crest that hill, uh, that peak of growth. And that you're not like, okay, this thing's starving. And if I push it now, it's just, it's not going to be able to respond quick enough yep. uh, to be evened out. And so now that's interesting. And I think that's something too, where, you know, we talk about measuring, I, I want to get you on uh, clipping volume in yeah. 2021. I think that would be very, very interesting to know when to push the gas and when to pull back a little bit. When mm-hmm. you're, you're and I, I, I haven't been measuring, but I have been definitely even into this year was keeping a lot of a track mentally of, of that as far as looking at what it needs for, do I need something else to get it going? Oh man, it's like really coming off crazy right now. And so I definitely keep that going mentally, but I would like to probably do something that I can quantify and look at it. You were definitely the perfect person to break the, uh, the dimension of homeowner clipping volume measurements. Mm-hmm. I think so. I think I could be. We're certainly not going to. Okay. We're certainly not going to let Connor do it. He's not going to care. He like he, I, I love Connor, but he's not. He's just going to be like, oh, that's all trash. We're just going to throw it away. Yep. You know, who cares? Yep. As long as it's green and growing, right? Exactly. I, I I've got nothing. I got nothing against that guy. He does it his way, and I love watching it. I really do. I'm always entertained, and like he gets it. He knows what he does. Uh, in, gen- in general terms, it's right. Like he's, he's spot on and he has his way of doing it. And the beauty of that whole thing, like you said about turf, is that there is always more than one way to do it. Um, and you two prove that mm-hmm. video in and video out. Yes, very, very much so. I think I want to get to one more of my what I need to do better on here and then we'll go to a couple Ooh. of yours. Sure. Um, so I'm still struggling a little bit with PGR and 
Actually, when we had Wes on, I went and looked at some of his, what he had posted on his Facebook page uh, Mm -hmm. for what they were doing this past year. And I found some interesting info there. I think he was using a rate of like 0.125 ounces or something. And yeah, he's really low. I think that I need to focus more on that of some really low rates and trying to just regulate just slightly without every time I've done it, it just, it feels like it's, like it's successful for a few days, but then it all of a sudden feels like, oh, I want too far, even at like 0.3 or 0.4 or something like that. And then it just takes a while to come off of there. And during that time frame is when I feel like it just doesn't look right anymore. Uh, so, yeah. Yeah, I think, you know, there. Uh, that's an interesting, like there's an interesting topic because you've got labels that are, probably now close to 20 years old, you know, and I don't know how much those have been really truthfully ground tested with newer varieties, maybe some more enhanced maintenance techniques, so on and so forth. Right. And as you look and see like what you just mentioned, what people in the industry are doing is um, you got a couple of things on the practitioner level. So the, you know, the, the pro turf people, they're going lower rates and they're extending their window out longer than now what um, you would see recommended. And what's been recommended is this really, really like uh, groundbreaking work from Bill Kreuzer, who's at University of Nebraska Lincoln. And he's modeled all these different PGRs to figure out like how many growing degree days that we need to have in between um, to get the maximum regulation. And so, you know, what, what he's, really started focusing on now is this whole idea that you can stack these applications, right? And if you stack too many on top of one another, too close in frequency, um, that you can, you can have injury or you can have, you know, such a regulating effect that it ultimately compromises the turf, Mm -hmm. you know, not necessarily going to kill everything that's out there, but like you said, in times of high stress, when you couple the over-regulation and the stress, it's very, very, this has that little bit of like hazing look to it. The cut doesn't look as clean. It kind of, yeah. Yeah. So I think that that is something where looking at like an app, something like the Greenkeeper app to track those and then maybe not necessarily going with those rates like that are on the label. I, I think. Well, that's my that concern whole- with something like Teenex because if you look at the label there, I believe it specifies like okay, these are the the types of grass and this is the rate. But then if you're cutting at a lower height of cut, then you're going to have to adjust. Well, but it doesn't say, well, what should that adjustment be? like? Well, so like adjusting, so that adjustment, and this is part of what Kreuzer found, is that when you have smaller plants, you need less material. Exactly. Because there's less leaf tissue. But like for bluegrass on there, I believe it says 0.75 ounces, but they're looking at, I think, you can easily get confused on the label by thinking, oh, that's for half-inch bluegrass, but no, it really isn't. It's for something no. much taller. No, and so what these guys, you know, guys that I associate with that um, are trying some of these different programs on, say, like inch and a quarter or less, inch and a quarter to, say, uh, three-quarters of an inch bluegrass, and that five to maybe six-ounce per acre rate, so, like, 0.125, you know, an eighth of an ounce per thousand or just slightly higher where that's like a greens rate on bent grass. You know, that's what we run on uh, bent grass putting greens. 
that uh, that is something that they're having success with, where it's just enough to keep it regulated to the point where they're not trying to shut down on growth. And I don't think even in a home loan situation, you want you don't want to be at that 50% regulation or 40%, you know, even if you cut down by a quarter, you know, you're still able to lengthen out your mowing periods or mowing intervals, things like that. So you got to kind of consider what your goal is with that. Is it to really just shut it down like you're on a rural roadside and you, you know, you don't want to have to send the mow crew back out to mow it? Or yeah. is this something that needs to be growing to stand up to, you know, in your case, the traffic and the maintenance you're putting into it, if it's, you know, kids and pets, or could be 200 to 300 pound athletes, like in my case. Yeah. So yep. you just have to kind of look and see what, uh, what your overall goal is. But I, th- I do think you're right. But backing down and trying to keep a little bit better track, that might be the ticket in 21. Yeah. My, my goal with it is usually just to try to one, there's a, there's a certain specific look on the regulated turf, like the density. It really does make a big difference in terms of that, where it says, you know, it tillers a little better and maybe you're getting a little better drought tolerance out of it and stuff like that. So that's really all mm-hmm. I'm going after. I'm not, I mean, I'm, I'm not going after wanting to, to mow once a week or I, I mean, I'm fine with keeping up with the mowing and stuff. It's more, just, I think, getting that rate out there that makes it look just a little, like it has that little bit of regulated look without going too far. Yeah, and I think that's where you can experiment with it and just try to work on your intervals and really, like, stretching it out closer to that, uh, you know, three, you know, 300 growing degree day or even a little bit further out. So that's a, that's a good topic, I think, uh, in our series here for this winter that we can we can dive deeper into how to manage some of that it with and try to find define those expectations a little bit better because that'll sort of drive the decision making on how much and how hard and intervals things yep. like that do you have anything else that you'd like to cover on what you maybe had some things you'd like to improve on uh i think you know one thing and like i said before this has been a good outlet but just uh you know got a little bit probably too far into the what and how this year and not so much on the why. So I think just, you know, pulling back and making sure that, um, you know, with clients and with here is making sure just providing good info and giving, giving them the tools to do what they need to do and not, uh, not getting so deep into, Hey, well, you know, you need to do this X, Y, Z, you know, and I'll, I'll jump in and help you and everything. Like I'll always jump in and help people. But uh, part of this is learning how to do it on their own, you know, and, and being able to look at that. And I've been, you know, I feel fortunate and uh, that I've been able to do that in my, you know, managerial career in, in turf. But now it's kind of on the other foot. It's sort of like, you know, these aren't, uh, these are almost like your grandchildren. You know, you, you can't always be there to raise them. You just have a certain amount of time with them, you know, every few weeks or months or whatever it might be. And you got to pass down that wisdom and that know-how really, really quickly and effectively. And so um, just, just getting a little bit more of that, that's, uh, that's something I, I think I can do better on, but I'm self-aware enough that I've you know, sort of realized it and going to work on it here this fall. But mm-hmm. uh, t- turf-wise, um, I don't know. I just, you know, from a, from a learning standpoint, um, I'm looking forward to a little bit more of that here this winter of pulling back on, uh, on a few different subjects. And I think this, this series that we kind of keep teasing here will be a very, very good uh, – pathway to do it to research and pull back the you know the layers of the onion and really examine the why and what we currently know 
you know, I try to stay current on as much of that stuff as I can, but it gets harder and harder every year to dive deep into it during the year. And so just to, uh, to challenge my beliefs, you know, we, we're always yeah. talking on here about the dogmas of turf and why they are the way they are. And is that really legit or not? And so yep. um, I think that's going to be something that we get into here. Well, so, to, to get into that a little bit of what our idea is, I think what we're thinking is over the next, over the off season here, we're going to try to go into a cool season program and what that involves and the whys, like you said, of, of all of those various aspects and hopefully have some guests on in those various uh, expert fields too, that we can, can speak with on some of those things and they can bring their experience to it too. And that's kind of our, our idea, I guess, of what's coming up. Yeah. I think, you know, taking a part and using, you know, the Ryan Nor cool season guy is sort of the, the roadmap, but digging deep one show at a time into uh, each of those topics. And like we said, what, what's important, what you really need to know and the why behind all that stuff. And then more so when we talk about the how is how you can get yourself into trouble and how you can get yourself out of trouble mm-hmm. with uh, doing those things right. So I, I'm, I'm really excited about it. Like I said, I think there's a lot of stuff within there that while it seems basic and elementary, I think there's a lot to unpack and hopefully uh, give people that knowledge and the wisdom to uh, to push forward and get better. Yep. Well, I think today uh, what I've learned uh, after going over these different things is I think a lot of the things that we maybe learned have become positives in the end because, again, sort of gave us some experience on something different, some new learning. And so I hope that you found that interesting today, kind of going over a few things we experienced this season. I'm sure everybody out there has experienced some different things in 2022 that they hopefully learned from. But uh, yeah, Thanksgiving is coming up and then we'll probably get back to some shows after that once we get this all figured out on our roadmap of things going forward. But I know my wife is making a feast. It doesn't look like it from my stature, but she is an amazing cook and I should weigh like way more than I do. So uh, yeah, it's going to be, I'm looking forward to that. So what you're saying is that you have the metabolism of like a, a distance runner or something like that? Oh, yes, I do. Very good. Very good. Yep. Well, yeah, I, I hope that you and your family have a happy Thanksgiving. I hope our listeners do too. And if you guys have or gals have your your wins and losses, we do want to hear about them. I think that's something that you know we want to share and, and hear back from uh, folks. So you can hit us up on Twitter. You can hit us up on uh, email and we'll definitely talk about those on our next show it's a good way to kind of weave in and get started with the cool season roadmap something or other we haven't named it because well we didn't have enough time to talk about it but we'll figure it out right i i agree i think uh we're both looking forward to that and going into this season where things are a little more slowed down we should have some time to focus on it so that's sort of the end goal there absolutely well hey i want you to stay hungry and stay happy this thanksgiving Hope, uh, hope your wife, your dogs, everybody's good there. And uh, hey, we'll do it again here soon. Sounds good. Thanks again, Ryan, for for all the good conversation. We'll talk to you all again soon, coming up probably in the next couple weeks for sure. All right, see you.